0: start with a question and um, where's the perfect spot for a church in our homes it's perfect place for church where else where the lost is amen so like in our city where are the lost especially in our home, anyway, uh, right? Okay, everywhere. Where else? I mean, think about it. Where's a perfect place for a church? Those are, those are good answers. What else? What else comes to your mind? Perfect spot. Maybe it's not just Las Vegas, but maybe it's, uh, you know, another city or a place that you could think of. Wherever God is, where is God? Everywhere. Wherever people are is a good place for a church. What is the church? People. The body of Christ. This is church. Um, some of you might have church at your workplace. Some of you might have church in your home. Um, it's not bound by a building. Jesus never came. In fact, all of the teaching of the New Testament is, is deflected from a central place of worship. I mean, in, in Jerusalem right now, World War III would start if you tried to build a a temple, a Jewish temple, on the Temple Mount. Why? Because of the Dome of the Rock, the one of the high Muslim holy places where they believe that Muhammad, I believe this is correct, where he received the dictation for the Quran. I don't think it was where he ascended. I don't. I don't know, but I, I may not be exactly sure on that. But but it's all about Uh, geography right it's all about land it's all about a place um and 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 yet you know the perfect place for a church is wherever lost people are which is all over right las vegas is a perfect place for a church a lot of people think that that oh it must be so hard to have a church in las vegas I think it would be so hard to have a church in Riverside where I'm from sort of I mean not originally but I think it would be hard to have a church any place because of lost people and sure certainly in Las Vegas there's another element another dynamic like I tell people that in your city a lot of your sin is is behind closed doors in our city it's walking up and down the street Or it's all, like, lit up and it's all in front and, like, here it is. Here is, here is, and people come here with great anticipation to participate in the indulgences that our city has to offer. I mean, it's advertised. Remember what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Now, the police department, by the way, they hate that slogan because they're the ones that have to clean up the mess. And I don't mean just litter. I mean, you know, broken people, broken bodies, dead bodies, you know, all of that stuff. And so, of course, Las Vegas is a perfect place for a church. There are certain neighborhoods within Las Vegas that are perfect places for a church. Some of them are low income. Some of them are high income. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, I have a buddy who who just is planting a church and um, he was telling me where it is, and my wife said, Man, isn't there like, like a mega church around the corner from you? And he went, Yep. I mean, a mega church. Like, you know, like they'll have 5,000 people at their church on, on Easter type of deal, right? And so you would think, Dude, why would you put a church around the corner from a mega church? That doesn't even make sense. Except that's where God called him to go. Done deal. Oh, well, you should have said so at the beginning, (laughs) right? And not everybody likes the mega feel, right? I mean, there are people who like the big, you know, production, the big church. Some people really dig that. Um, Other folks like something a little bit different, right? And so the perfect place or the perfect spot for a church is, first and foremost, wherever God calls you to be. And by the way, wherever you are, that's where church is because you are the church, as we said. Another perfect place for a church is where sin abounds. Where does sin not abound? Well, Nashville, Tennessee is per capita. And I used to live in Tennessee, so I'm not hating on anybody. I used to live in uh, Clarksville and Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st Airborne Division. What's up? Um, my uh, – uh, but but Na- uh, Nashville has more churches per capita in that city than any other place in the nation, okay? Who do you think number two is? Las Vegas, exactly, us. More churches per capita than any other place, uh, I mean, b- b- besides Nashville. And th- those statistics are old. So now, I don't know if that includes wedding chapels and, I, I mean, I, I don't think it does. Like, how could you con- include a wedding... That's not a church, yo. All right, so but you know it's just interesting, and so wherever sin abounds, it's a great place for a church, <laughs> and there are various degrees of that, and also um, wherever the gospel hasn't been preached, that's a good place for a church. In fact, that was sort of Paul's philosophy, wasn't wasn't it? He wanted to, he didn't want to build a church on another man's foundation. You know, if there's already a church there, then he didn't want to build a church there. Now, my friend built a church around the corner from a megachurch, but that's where God called him to be, and that's okay. Because it's not like the context that Paul was speaking about was, was you know, cities were different and you know, na- neighborhoods. It was a different dynamic than it is now, right? And so um, it's an interesting thing to think about when you think about the perfect spot for church now what needs to happen is churches need to come together right they need to do things together and and the way that that happens is somebody has to be willing to bring pastors and leaders and elders together Uh, a good friend of mine is a pastor at uh, trinity life center pastor randy greer he's a great guy I, i love him you know and and he he says, "Hey, by the way, man. Next week, or, or uh, first Thursday of every month, we're having a pastors' uh, get together, and there's no agenda. It's just to pray and and see God together. And, and 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 he's going on and on and on about all the things we need to be praying about. We're gonna pray. We're just there's no agenda, man. It's just prayer. We're praying about revival that God would move, that the Holy Spirit I said, do. Randy." that the Holy Spirit would just fall down on us. I go, Randy, that the – I said – well, I go, I got it, bro. I got it. I'm in. I'll be there. You don't have to explain all that to me. I'm in. You know, and he started to preach a sermon to me. I was like, come on, man. You know, but I hear you. I hear you. And because he's a friend, when he invites me to something, I'll participate. Because I'm friends with the guys at, at Calvary Chapel Spring Valley, they bring flyers. I Give them to you guys to participate because I have a relationship with them. And that's one of the things that we, we need to establish more and more of is, is relationship in the church. You know, I, when I was a youth pastor, I, I never liked when someone sent me something, especially for youth ministry, an event, and they said, bring all your kids. And I would call folks back and say, yeah, I got your flyer on your deal. Who are you? No disrespect to your church or anything like that, but I don't even know you, man. And I was always a little bit, oh, I don't want to say offended cuz I mean like that's not something to have offense over. You know, but I would always feel like why would you send me something to your event and and want me to bring my kids but not feel like it was more important that we even got to know one another. And so I'd say, "Tell you what, before I say yes to your event, let's go have some coffee or tea and hang out and spend some time together, and then and then we'll see. You know, and I'll probably bring my kids anyway, especially if it was an event I wanted to go to. See, when you're a youth pastor, you tend to do a lot of things you like to do. And it was kind of fun because, anyway, the perfect spot for church is in a city like Corinth, Corinth, and. In the flow of finishing first and Second Thessalonians, the next thing was Corinth, and so that's what I want to do. I, I want to do Corinth. Um, the richest, probably most important city in Greece, a very corrupt city, right? Um, Corinth had and I've, you've probably heard me say this before Corinth had a reputation for very loose living, especially sexual immorality, okay? and um i mean even to the point that they had that they had merged together sexual immorality with their religious practices i mean that's bad when you start to merge those two together temple prostitutes things like that there was a greek term um act like a corinthian which means that you were going to practice fornication you know that's that's what that meant or the term was corinthianized and then if you had a Corinthian uh, companion, that meant that she or he was a prostitute. That's what that meant. It was an actual Greek term. Oh, this is my Corinthian companion. Oh, all right, all right. Okay, that's how bad it was. Um, The worship of Aphrodite, also known as Venus, the goddess of fertility and sexuality, gave people a license for this decadent, um, immoral, over-the-top sexual immorality. In 146 B.C., Corinth rebelled against Rome and was destroyed by Roman armies, and it was in ruins until uh, Julius Caesar rebuilt the city and reestablished it as a commercial center and trade and immorality of every kind, all right? Uh, Someone said this Morgan, a, a church historian, said it is significant that it is in this city that Paul wrote his Roman letter. And when one reads his description of Gentile corruption in that Roman letter, one has almost certainly a mirror of what he found in Corinth. And so when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Rome, he was in Corinth, maybe looking out over the city, speaking about people who have been given over. Passion and desire, right? In in the book of Romans. And so you get, the, you get the feel that he was right in the middle of it. And so one ancient writer described Corinth as a town where none but the tough survive. Isn't that interesting? That you, you gotta be tough to survive in this city. And you know what? Perfect spot for a church. Perfect spot for a church, right? Some might say, why would you go to Corinth and plant a church? Why wouldn't you? I mean, this was a, a immoral place where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, right? The gospel had not yet been preached there, and so there, were no, there was no church that was planted there. It was a commercial center. Uh, it was a place where... You know, the, 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 uh, the ancient world came together for, for trade. And Paul knew that as the empire passed through Corinth, a strong church could touch the lives of the entire empire. All right? Uh, he knew that Corinth was a tough city and a hard city. But Paul wasn't interested in planting churches that were easy cities, but where they were hard. They were tough. That's where he wanted to go. So so why don't you have, just t- take a few minutes and discuss this in your little groups or whatever and ask yourself this question, so how can we who live in Las Vegas, how can we take advantage of the fact that the world comes here and be a light and share the gospel? Go ahead, have that discussion. Take a few minutes. Okay, so what'd you come up with? What's the answer? What'd you guys? What'd you guys? Uh, any comments? Any thoughts? Bill?
1: You gotta, have a, you gotta have a rapport with somebody first, and then when you can talk face to face, then you can do something. If you just come up and just get in somebody's face and say, "Hey, you need God," I know that didn't work for me for like three years. And then, then when somebody loved on me, then I was willing to listen to what they had to say.
0: Anybody else? Uh, there's a lot of discussion going on now, I know. and She said that she didn't believe in God or she didn't believe in the devil. And I started talking to her, and now she told me she attends church, and now she pregnant and everything. Yeah.
1: What else? Talking about um, probably the best way to evangelize is through example, rather than walking around with the Bible and uh, just being a light. And you don't even have to, you know, profess the fact that you're a Christian. But if people see your actions and your 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 light, they'll come. They'll they'll seek you out. I've had that happen a couple times. one of the things when I first became a Christian, our, our group I was in. He says, uh, "Make a friend, be a friend, and lead a friend to Christ." And that's probably the like he says, establish rapport with somebody, and that's probably the best way that I've been able to do it.
0: What do you guys think about strip evangelism, Las Vegas strip? What do you think, Billy?
1: There were these guys that would come by me every night, and I'd get off around 12 o'clock, and they held these signs, and they had these megaphones, and they were screaming through the megaphone, you're all going to hell unless you repent. And they were, like, waving their signs and that. And you know what? I didn't see not one person ever come up to them people and say, hey, I want what you got. (laughs) And, you know, and I drive by these people, with my old beat-up truck with a Jesus sticker that says on it, Jesus loves you. I'm sure. And I always wave to those guys anyway, but um, that, you know, like you always taught from the beginning, they'll know us by our love, not by us screaming and, and condemning nobody.
0: Seems like that pushes them away more, too. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, God reserves the right to lead, to, to draw someone into him any way he wants. And there may be some, some, of, some of, there might be some people that come to the Lord as a result of that. I mean, he reserves the right to do it. That's not my way. As, I would not do that. I would not do that. that. That wouldn't have brought me, that wouldn't have brought me to Christ. I would just, I think I just would have thought, man, dude, it's crazy, man. I don't even know what he's talking about. You know, I'm not that bad. You know what I mean? Because, so, so uh, but, I, but I also know there are creative ways to reach people on the strip. Like I know that uh, there are groups that go out and they do like little almost like little presentations that are really cool and they draw people in and they ask questions and and then and then while they have their attention they they do a gospel presentation like I know one guy at one time who who would um on Las Vegas Boulevard and um Flamingo right there in front of the Barbary Coast or whatever it's called now it's probably still called that, so he would stand on the intersection on a Friday night and you know of course. Because the light is red, a bunch of people would stack up to cross. John Gundacker, remember John? And then so he'd stand right at the at the edge, and then when it turned red, he'd turn around and he would just share a gospel message to everybody. And it wasn't like you're all going to hell. Don't you know? Go back home. We don't want you. No, it was it was it was kind and it was loving, and he just shared Christ. And and I and I I would I like to work the crowd. You know, I would I would be like in the back and I didn't do it often, a couple times. I mean, makes it sound like I did it every week, I didn't. But I remember I asked a gal one time. She was like, "You know, you could people were either like, "Oh my gosh, whatever, dude," or they were like, like, "What?" Man, I'm in, I'm I'm trying to Corinthianize, man. I'm not trying to what? What it? What? And and I and she was and I said, "Say, so what do you what do you think about what that guy's saying?" She just went, man, that's just interesting. I just wouldn't have thought I would have heard that in Las Vegas. Who knows? Who knows, right? Interesting. It's it's important to note that Paul established the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey, and he was there a year and a half. Now, as opposed, compared to the church in Thessalonica, where he was there how many weeks? Three weeks. Then he had to... Uh, uh, beat feet out of there because it was getting hostile. Okay, so, uh, and this may be one of the cities that he stayed at the longest. And so it's just interesting. So I think it has something to do with building relationships and establishing something that people can multiply onto others. Okay, so to begin our study in 1 Corinthians, turn to Acts chapter 18. <laughs> Whoop! And everybody who just finished the book of Acts. Said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 18, because the book of Acts gives us sort of the, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the, through the apostles. So we're going to talk a little bit about this. And so, Acts chapter 18, uh, actually in verse 1, it says, After these things, what things? Go back to Acts chapter 17, after establishing the church in Thessalonica and leaving there. Going to Berea, remember the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because they studied the scriptures to see if these things were so. So after those things, Paul departs from Athens, uh, Acts chapter 17, Mars Hill, if you remember that, where there's 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 statues of all sorts of gods, and and Paul is walking through, and he's like, man, this is insanity, man. Y'all got a god for everything. You even have a god. You even have a statue to the unknown god. Like God X, in case we don't know his name, but just X, unknown. And actually, he was drawing back into their culture and using it as a hook to bring an understanding of the gospel. But anyway, so after those things, Athens, Acts chapter uh, 17, after those things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, isn't that so much better than just starting in 1 Corinthians but to go backwards and to see how he even got there so that when he says things in Corinth, we'll go, oh, that's why he said that, okay? He departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew there named Aquila, born in Pontus, uh, Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So he, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation they were tent makers. Well, if you were with us in our study through First and Second Thessalonians, you already know that, because remember at Thessalonica, Paul chose not to receive from people but to work because he, because there were those who were trying to make money off of their religious practices. Anyway, uh, he was a tent maker. Verse four. So he reasoned in uh, in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So tent makers although paul just like in thessalonica had the right uh to to receive some sort of support he chose not to um and he worked uh, not just in making tents but also worked with leather and we remember we had talked about how in in, the, in, in Greek, there were the, the Greek games, the Olympic games, all of those things. And so when the athletes would come to a place like Thessalonica where they had some of the games, there would be uh, all these tents that they would live in. And so Paul could make a good living by being a tent maker. Um, but he didn't want anyone to think he was in it for the money. And even in Judaism, it really wasn't kosher for a rabbi to receive payment for his teachings. Okay. And so he wanted to probably follow a little bit of that custom as well. Uh, now, food and lodging, yes. For example, he, stays, he stays with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, but uh, money, not so much. Okay, so verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now, uh, uh, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Okay, so a couple of things on those verses there. Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, which was his custom. He would go into the synagogue and reason from the scriptures. Um, and then it says that Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. And when they came from Macedonia, they came with the report about the Thessalonians. And how the Thessalonians were holding on to the faith. And so Paul is overjoyed by hearing the good report of the Thessalonians. And what does he do? He fires off 1 Thessalonians. Okay? See how that, how that works? While he is here in Corinth. Now, his message in, this, in the synagogue was that Jesus is the Christ. That was his message. There was a strong messianic fervor in the land. People were waiting and expecting the Messiah to come. And Paul's message to them was that Jesus is the Messiah. And I would suggest that he reasoned from the scriptures, because we already know that in our, in our studies, Maybe he even showed them how the Messiah, Jesus, would suffer, how he would die, how he would raise from the dead. Uh, if you want to, it, it, turn your Bibles or your tablet or phone to Isaiah chapter 53. And I like to just read through this, and, and who knows, maybe this, was, maybe this was even one of the scriptures that he used. I, I don't know that it was or wasn't, but it doesn't tell us. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 is a messianic scripture that speaks about the Messiah to come. And it gives us some good insight, compare and contrast this to Jesus, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For he, and the he, is the Messiah. He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Isn't that interesting? Verse 3, he was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And he was as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has... Born our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5. Does this sound like anyone you know? Okay, this was written 500 years before the time of the Messiah, Jesus. Verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What's the chastisement that brought us peace? The wrath of God, the payment, the full payment of all of our sins. And with his wounds or by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sound like anyone you know? Okay? Now, let me just say there are those who would, who, there are those who would say that this is not this is speaking about the nation of Israel. This is not speaking about a person like the Messiah. But if you go through it, it's like when was Israel pierced for our transgressions or crushed for our iniquities? When was the chastisement that brought us peace placed on Israel? And how is it that by the wounds of Israel we are healed? It doesn't sink. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, oppression, Rome, and judgment, religious leaders, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Okay, cut off from the land of the living, what does that mean? That means death. Verse 9, here it he goes, in case there are any questions. They made his grave with the wicked. You remember who was crucified next to Jesus? Two thieves. Okay. Um... And with a rich man in his death. Remember Joseph of Arimathea? A rich man who allowed Jesus to be put in his uh, burial place. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Sound like anyone you know? Verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring; he shall prolong his days. The Lord, uh, uh, the will of the Lord, shall prosper in his hand. And so, first of all, he's cut off from the land of the living. But then he sees his offspring, and his days are prolonged. Wait a second. Sounds like he dies, but then sounds like he's alive. Oh, out of the anguish, verse eleven of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's a great Easter passage, by the way, isn't it? Well, maybe that's what Paul shared with them as he reasoned with them in the synagogues from the scriptures. And you know, the Old Testament was all they had. The that, that they didn't have the new. They were living out the New Testament, so we're we're able to see both um, dimensions, both um, uh, covenants. Um. And then it says, going back to uh, first, uh, uh Acts, <laughs> we're not in First Corinthians yet. Um, when his message was rejected, Paul went to the Gentiles. Because verse 6 says, when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own hands, I'm clean. I'm off to the Gentiles. Now, we know that wasn't the last time that Paul spoke. To, to his Jewish brothers, remember in in um, it, in, I think it's Galatians where he says, "Man, I wish that I would be." W- w- essentially, I wish that I would be cut off for the sake of, of maybe Romans for the sake of, of my people Israel. I mean, you know, Paul was like, "Man, let me let me be cut off from God that they might find the Messiah." That's how serious he was. So we know it wasn't I mean, he was. This is, all right, so listen, he takes his advice from Jesus here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and, ter- <clears throat> and tear you to pieces. What does that mean? What do you think? Huh? What else? Don't give them the word because they just trample all over it. What else? Listen. Turn and attack you, so they'll just trample on the word and come come after you. What else does it mean? Not to cast, you know, pearls before that would be not good. If you took some pearls and went here, piggy, piggy, like, oh, look at them! You just why? Wh- those are that's something very valuable that you gave to something that's just going to trash it and destroy it and ha- and not see the value of it. <coughs> now, I remember years ago we had um we had a, a a Christian apologist come, Dave, what was his name? Dave, oh, I can't think of his last name. Came and spoke at our church. Not Dave Ramsey. The, uh, 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 the Beringian Call is his newsletter. Ah, I'll think of it. Anyway, came and spoke at our church, and someone invited some Mormon missionaries. Ooh, that was interesting. And they came. And uh, Dave, uh, I'm thinking if I say his first name, I'll think of his last name. Anyway, he, uh, he's you know, he does his thing, and and there was question answer time, and they, oh, we have some questions. Oh no! And they said something about God. He goes, "Now, what, what God are you talking about? Are you talking about the, which, which?" And he tried to define terms, and it just, it just got like they were just they weren't there to receive. They just were like, you know, probably going to go home and tell all their friends that they went into a Christian church and told the apologist what's up. And anyway, and and, and they go, and anyway, it just got kind of combative, and it was like, okay, there's th- there's no sense for that. Well, and then one of them says, well, the Bible says don't cast your pearls before swine anyway, and they walk out. We're like, what? (laughs) Wait a minute, man. You know, dang. Um, But when people are determined to reject the gospel, there comes a time where you stop trying. When people are determined to reject the gospel, there comes a time where you stop trying. Now, I don't think that means you stop praying. And I also don't think that means you stop looking for open doors. But there might be a time where maybe you don't literally shake the dust off your feet, which was a very, very serious, serious uh, Visualiz- visualization, uh, 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 kind of acting out something that was incredibly, like, man, I'm, sh- I'm shaking the dust off my feet. You know, whoa, man, that, that's serious. But but maybe it's with a family member where you just don't talk about Christ anymore you, you just, you, you, unless they ask. I mean, I, I had to do that with, with, with my mom in particular. I just, you know, I just, because I, I, when I got saved, man, I just couldn't understand why everybody wasn't a Christian. And how do you not get it? And just just beating people over the head. A zeal with no knowledge is not good, right? That's what a terrorist does. And I'm oh, come on, man. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. And getting all crazy and like, ah. And then finally I said, man, I'm done with that. I'm just not even going to bring it up anymore. I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'm done with it, man. This is not working. I remember we were... Sitting, this is when my mom still lived in Riverside, and I came down to visit. And you know, I ain't bringing it up, you know, and so somehow she brings it up. I'm like, oh, and she goes, Well, I've been baptized, and I said, Great, mom. I go, Now, how old were you when you were baptized? You know, Catholic tradition, and she goes, And I've been confirmed too. I said, Mom, confirmed to what? She goes, Well, I. And then she said, I'll never forget it. She goes, and not too long ago, I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart as my Lord and my Savior. I went, what? You didn't even tell me. I go, how? Who? What? How did this happen? She goes, right here watching Billy Graham. I went, there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. I'm 300 miles away. Mom got saved. Just sometimes you have to (laughs) to just be quiet about stuff yeah to just yeah, yeah planted a seed, holy spirit, all that, yeah, so sometimes you know what when someone's continually- re- and she wasn't rejecting the gospel, but you know it just it was getting you know tense you, you just don't stop trying but 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 you continue to pray and you continue to look for open doors, because when you pray, you should be looking for open doors why pray if, if you're not looking for open doors right so so uh, anyway paul's like man i'm I'm done with you jews i'm done with you i'm going to the gentiles okay now we understand his heart he wasn't categorically done you know no more trips to the sabbath for me no there there'd be more but but in this city he's moving on to the gentiles and what kind of people were coming to jesus first corinthians 126 tells us Paul says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So he's reaching people right where they are, right? Now, let's move on. Verse 9 in, uh, (laughs) I keep wanting to say 1 Corinthians, uh, Acts uh, chapter 18. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Did we mention that Corinth was a hard place? It was a dangerous place. Anytime you have religiously inspired sexual immorality, and you're a you're a you're a a, a place a crossroads where people from all over are coming, especially to do dirt and to do have a hedonistic weekend or week or whatever, it's a dangerous place. Las Vegas is a dangerous place. Gaming is very dangerous. It brings an element of danger that you don't have in Riverside. It's not that Riverside's not dangerous. It's just not dangerous like Las Vegas is. Now, Los Angeles is a dangerous place, too, depending on where you are. Don't make a wrong turn on the one hundred and one. right? You might end up where you don't want to be. But gaming just brings this element of corruption, this element of greed, this element of sexual immorality, and on and on and on that can filter into the city, and it does. So anyway, Paul's reaching people. And he has this vision, and the Lord strengthens him. Now, he's in Corinth, and it says, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Okay? So let's break down this vision that he gets, these words of affirmation. God says to him, Don't be afraid. Because it'd be very easy to be afraid when you're in in in, in Corinth. It, it, it'd be very easy to be that, that's that's there's nothing wrong with that. God gave us the emotion, the reaction of fear. God gave us that. It keeps us safe, keeps us out of harm. It allows us to to recognize there's danger. It it places biologically, physiologically, it does something to our body. You know, Uh, so there's nothing wrong with fear in and of itself. God gave us that. But we're not given a spirit of fear. I guess it's what you do. It's like anger. It's okay to be angry. depends on what you're angry at and how you manifest that anger. If fear comes on you, then what do you do? And so he he doesn't leave. He says, don't be afraid. And he tells him what to do. Speak uh, and do not be silent. Okay, this is a vision from the Lord. Don't be afraid. Speak. You got to speak, Paul. OK, because 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 maybe Paul was battling fear. Maybe he was. And, and so the, so the Lord comes and speaks to him and says, don't be afraid. Speak and don't keep silent. And then here's this. I am with you. Duh. What a w- now, Paul already knew that. But see, the Lord meets us in our fears and our weaknesses. Um, when we need a word of encouragement, I'm with you. I'm with you. And and how many times in the Bible has God said that to someone? Give me some examples where God said, I'm with you. Name the person. You don't have to name the place or the specific scriptural place, but just give me some examples. Joshua. (laughs) How many times? Yeah, the whole chapter 1, chapter 2, I'm with you. With you, with you, with you. Joshua, you're going to lead this generation of of children who are now adults into the promised land, and there's going to be some giant, I'm with you. Right? Who else? Gideon. Wow, Gideon, David, wow, the king, King David. Who else? Moses, Lord, if you don't go with us, I'm not. You know, I, Moses, man, he was pretty bold with what he said to, to the Lord. Now, take it out, Lord, if you don't go with us, I'm not going. I'm not going. Okay, that's reasonable. I'm with you. the great commandment, the great commission. Lo, I'm with you to the apostles and to us. I'm with you. Whew, okay. Sometimes, huh? To the end of the age. When's the end of the age? New heavens and new earth maybe? I don't know. Forever? I'll take that too. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Amen. Don't be afraid. This is good stuff for all of us who are fearful witnesses. This is good stuff. Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? Okay, actually, if you are afraid, don't let that fear stop you. Now He says, don't be afraid. Speak out. Just open your mouth. God will speak through you. Don't be silent. Ah, gosh. Can I share an example of that just the other day? Sunday. By the way, you're Wednesday night and you're special. If you didn't know, Taco Naco is down the street at the Arco station with his truck. Yeah, what? Exactly. On Decatur and Rancho. So Taco Naco is, he goes to our church, Victor, the great, great tacos. And he has fish tacos now. So I've hit him up twice this week or last week. Uh, Forgot to mention that on Sunday. But we want to support him because he's just a dear brother. Anyway, so I go and I don't have any money. And so I go into the – I had to get some cash for something else. So I go into the, into the place, and there's a guy behind the counter, young guy, can't discern where he's from. Uh, you know, and he's – it's funny, looking at me, can't discern where I'm from. Or, you know, and usually I ask people, what's your tribe? So he says to me, where are you from? I said, oh. I said, well uh, – and I know what he's saying is like, like, like what are you, right, man? You're kind of like – you could be Puerto Rican. You could be, you know, Filipino, but you're too tall. You could be, I mean, I don't know. You could be Mexican, but then again, 6'6", six, six, I don't know, man. There's only a couple of them. And and, and so he's he's like, well, well, like, where are you from, man? I go, well, I was born in Heidelberg, Germany. And he goes, oh. I go, but I don't look like what I am. And he goes, well, what are you? I go, I'm a black German. And he goes, what? <laughs> I said, my dad was black. My mom was German. Oh, 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 oh. I go, and where are you from? Uh, what's your tribe? He goes, I'm from India. I go, oh, nice. Well, he goes, I'm not actually from India. I was born in in uh, San Diego. <laughs> That's why I don't want to do my family background, man, you know, that family tree thing. Because, I mean, I might, I might go all the way down and find out I'm from, like, El Segundo or something. Like, oh, come on, man. I spent you $500 to find that out, you know. I'm from Beatty. What? You know, no way. <laughs> man. I'm from East LA. No, no. I was hoping for a little more. (laughs) Anyway, so he says, "Yeah, man." And I, you know, I went and visited India. Oh man, it was it was awesome, man. There were like no, there was like no law. Like you could do like whatever you want. You know, the police. And he used some choice words about what the police, no police, and da 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 da. And I went, really? Wow. Okay, well, thanks, man. And i just I just kind of thought, you know, and and it wasn't I mean, there were some other people in line, but I just afterwards I thought, man, you know, I could have just stepped to the side, and so tell me so, so there was no like you could do whatever you want, yeah, it was awesome, it was amazing, I like some so, and what I should have it was engage that young man, and because worldviews have consequences, and said, so let me ask you this question, man, what if somebody just beat you within an inch of your life? Would that be okay? What if someone said, hey, where are you from, man? Oh, you're not from around here, and just took everything you had and took your passport, too. Well, because after all, there's no police, and it's awesome, and we can do whatever we want. See, that's okay until someone hurts me. Then I'm the police. Oh, hey, I'm an American, you know, right? I, I, yeah, I'll go back because I'm definitely going back to Taco Naco, and, you know, maybe I'll engage him again, but I wish I would have opened my mouth. And I was all fired up from Sunday service, too. and I had nothing to say. I was like, all right, cool, man. Catch you later. You know? Dang it. (laughs) I hate when that happens. Ah, Does that ever happen to you or is it just me? Oh, okay. I got some friendlies here. Okay. Don't be afraid. Speak and don't keep silent. I'm with you. Now, he gives Paul another assurance that he didn't get in other cities, no one will attack you to hurt you. Didn't say he wouldn't get attacked, but you're not going to get hurt. And this, not like a Thessalonica man where you had to fly, flee for your life. No one will hurt you. No one will attack you to hurt you. Here's the whole thing. I have many people in this city. I have many people in the city, Paul. What? Corinth? You've got they are people now. Many of these people, I don't think, were Christian yet. But see, when I look at a city, I go, man, there's no Christians over there. But when God looks at a city, he says, I got many people in that city. Elijah said, I'm the only one who's serving you. God said, yo, time out. I got 7,000 that haven't been uh, down, uh, knelt down to Baal. He was like, what? I thought I was the only one. <laughs> Yeah, because, see, you may not be in Christ yet, but when God sees you, he sees you, and he knows that you will be in him. Interesting. Anyway, does that encourage us today? So Paul stayed to make disciples, not just to preach the good news. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Right? All right, let's finish up. Verse 12 through 18 says, when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow pers- now remember what God said to him, right? No one will attack you to hurt you. I have many people in this city. Don't be afraid. Don't keep silent. Speak out. I am with you, all right? So right after that. It's almost like it's, I don't know what the timeline was, but Galileo and his proconsul, and, and was was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. <laughs> and you just seem like, man, I'm tired of you people, right? Verse 15, but if it is a question of words and names of your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. <clears throat> Verse 16, and he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galio took no notice of these things. So verse 18 says, So P- Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Chancrea, for he had taken a vow. All right. <clears throat> One historian Locknecker, Longnecker said this. If Gallio had accepted the Jewish charge and found Paul guilty of the alleged offense, provincial governors everywhere would have had a precedent, and Paul's ministry would have been severely restricted. As it was, Gallio's refusal to act in the matter was tantamount to the recognition of Christianity as religio leg- I don't. I think that means free religion. I don't know. But because he didn't judge the matter, Paul had, there was no precedence to say, hey, what happened when you were in, the, in, in Corinth? I mean, we've already heard about it. No, so he was free. So it says this, that he cut his hair off at Chancreia, for he had taken a vow. Numbers chapter 6, the Nazareth vow. For a season of time, if someone wanted to consecrate themselves to the Lord wholly and completely, um, John the Baptist was a Nazareth from birth, right? And so uh, Samson was a Nazareth, although we know he ended up especially with the hair, right? It was symbolic of a relationship, and um, uh, they allowed their hair to, to grow, and when they did cut it off, which I didn't know this part, they brought it to the Lord for a special ceremony at the temple in Jerusalem. I did not know that. But... Uh, not only that, uh, they didn't come, they couldn't come near a dead body and they had to stay away from from grapes because of wine and all that is completely away from that. So that was this consecration. Uh, the purpose of it was to express consecration, dedication and separation to the Lord. Someone said this. I thought it was interesting. Um. William Barclay said, no doubt Paul was thinking of all God's goodness to him in Corinth and took this vow to show his gratitude. Maybe, but the purpose of the Nazareth vow wasn't so much to show gratitude as it was consecration, dedication, and separation. Maybe it was because in Corinth, it was so much coming at Paul, so much immorality, so much temptation, so much... That he just said, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a time, a season of consecration unto God, and just sort of separate myself from my thoughts, my mind, my heart, from, from you know. And sometimes in ministry, you have to separate yourself, no matter where God's called you to. You know, Stacy Hayes is in is in Beijing, but I think she still that she takes a month off every year for Chinese New Year. But it's a time of separation, consecration, and dedication." And you know what? I think that's a good thing for all of us to do. And I think that's, that's what Paul was doing. And he was uh, – so, so that kind of gives us um, a little bit of backdrop to, the, to, to First Corinthians. We might do a, a little bit out of Acts chapter 19 next week. But then we'll um, – actually, uh, I think next week is, is it – are we into March yet? March – Tuesday. Okay, so next Wednesday, hey, separation, consecration, dedication – it's our week of fasting and praying, First Wednesday, our day. First Wednesday of every month, we fast and pray. As a body, we come together and pray. So, hey, I think that's significant. I didn't plan that, but I think maybe that's something significant for us. And we'll try to encourage the Sunday crowd to do the same. You know, hopefully they will. But any questions, comments, anything you want to add, take away? All right. God, thank you for your word. Um, It's not meant to just be something that gives us knowledge, but something that allows us to live in you. Uh, Speak to us uh, through uh, Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 19, and 1 Corinthians. Speak to us, God, and show us what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.